Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Well, good morning, Downtown Hope. It's a joy, as David said, to be back in this space. I wish you were here with us, with this team. And uh, I flew home last Saturday, and it is a gift to be home with my family and to be here with our church family gathered across our area online. As David mentioned, we're in a series called Fulfilled, and we're working through Luke's gospel. Um, We're talking about how the entire story of Scripture culminates in the person of Jesus in Luke, who is a doctor, is writing, as he says in chapter 1, an orderly account that we might know for certain the things that have been fulfilled among us. And so we're just excited to walk through the gospel of Luke together. We're in this season of Advent where our brothers and sisters in Christ across the planet pause to look back and remember and celebrate the arrival of Christ, the birth of Christ into the world, as well as looking forward to his Advent. Advent means arrival, uh, his second coming. And in looking back and looking forward, there is this tension that emerges because we're in this in-between space where we're not who we ought to be, we're not who we one day will be. And it's in this tension, it's in this space, and specifically in Advent, that we're asking the question through Advent, are there things that the Lord wants to prepare in us? Are there things that He wants to create in us in the tension that happens in between? And in Luke chapters 1 and 2, we're discovering just that. Last week, we looked at uh, the account of Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and we saw how God used silence in his life. After 400 years of silence, after a lifetime of silence for Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, he was struggling with faith. His trust had been reoriented, and we found that the Lord used silence in his life to stir or reorient his faith and trust in God. And I wonder how that's gone for you this last week. We said last week, Maybe this was a chance uh, to practice the spiritual discipline of silence. Uh, It's not easy in this season. It's not easy in general to practice that. Um, But maybe that was something that the Lord used in your life this last week. And this morning we come to the Annunciation, uh, this famous passage uh, that many are familiar with. If you're tuning in for the first time, maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you're asking questions. Uh, This is a classic and and significant passage um, for the story of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus in the world. It's the announcement to Mary through an angel um, get that, he, uh, that she will uh, bear a child. And, and what we discover through this annunciation is a second way that the Lord may want to prepare us during this Advent season. So let me read Luke chapters 1 verses 26 to 38 together, and then we will dive in and walk through it. You can follow along with me on the screen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, 
and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And this is God's living, active word for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we open this uh, passage, we ask that your spirit would speak through your word to our hearts. We thank you that we are all a work in progress. As a community we are, as individuals we are, and that you love us, and that your spirit is doing a work in us in this season of Advent. So we open ourselves to you now. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak through the truth of your word to us this morning? I pray you would speak through me, Lord, that the words that are from you would be remembered and those that are not would be forgotten. And we give you this time. Thank you for the gift of gathering as a body, even online in this season. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, right before I left for England uh, about uh, 11 weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, Katie and I had the chance, or I had the opportunity to officiate a wedding on the Eastern Shore, and, uh, and it was right over the bridge. And typically, right over the bridge means you leave maybe an hour or two ahead of time because there's always traffic on the bridge, especially on a Friday evening, if you know about the Bay Bridge. <clears throat> well, this particular Friday evening, uh, there, were, there was some activity on the bridge, and so the backup was severely delayed. It was like a three- or four-hour backup. And I, being you know, the optimist that I am often accused of being by my wife, she said, I think really we should leave early. And I said, oh, no, we'll be fine. We'll just leave one or two hours early. That's plenty of time early to get over the bridge. Not so. So we left Annapolis, and as we're driving, we're opening up maps, and we're seeing almost everything is gridlocked. It's all red streets everywhere. I mean, backed up even into Annapolis. It was crazy. And so we started to depend on the map, uh, the map app, and every kind of turn we made, it told us to go in a different direction because we could save five minutes here and save five minutes there. And all of a sudden, the mapping just continued to change, and we followed the mapping as it changed, and it was so overwhelming and so stressful. And it turned out that we ended up being an hour late to the wedding. And thankfully, the bride, the groom, the parents, everybody was very gracious. There were many people who were late. We were certainly the last ones to arrive, no doubt. But it was this uh, incredibly challenging, overwhelming moment as we were driving over there. You can ask Katie about it sometime. Sometimes the mapping of our stories change. Sometimes the mapping of the story of our lives get redirected. In the 19th century, late 18th century, 19th century, there was a British naval officer 
an explorer and missionary. His name was Alan Gardner. And in 1850, seven men, including Gardner, went on a trip to share the incredible news of Jesus to a remote tribe off of the tip of, of, of South America, on an island off the tip of South America. And they were dropped off there with a certain amount of food rations and more food supplies were supposed to come within six months. But the food never came. And the food rations began to get low. And they realized after the boat was sailing away that they left all of their hunting tools on the boat. The mapping, the map that they had been following, the plan that they had to be there, had shifted on them. It had changed. I got a text message this week from a friend, and it was a picture of his living room, and he and his wife's living room, and a beautiful Christmas tree, and a, and a beautiful, uh, you know, uh, Christmas-decorated uh, room. And the text just said from somebody else, it said, the house looks beautiful, there's only one thing missing, it's your family. The 2020 Christmas mapping for many of us has changed. 2020, the mapping for many of us has changed. The pandemic sweeps across the world. Fear fills many. Many of us, some of us, have lost family members. Racial tensions that in our nation were covered up for years come, in light, come to light in a fresh way. The U.S. political division and tension through the election, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, there is a real mapping that changed in 2020 in our world. And in this passage, what we find is an adolescent girl, betrothed, whose life mapping was about to change. And the question is this morning, how do you and how do I, how do we respond when what we thought was going to happen doesn't happen? When the map that we thought we were following gets changed? And for many of us, there's a lot of ways we respond to that, but one of the ways, no doubt, that we respond to that is with a deep sense of discontentment. And that might be one of the words, that the unspoken words of 2020 for many of us, is we've lived in a space of discontentment because that contentment that we have oftentimes is connected to our expectations. And when the expectation changes, the discontentment sets in. And what we discover in this passage, in this beautiful enunciation, is this teenage girl that is going to have the, the mapping of her life changed. And what we find in her is not annoyance, not disgruntledness, not discontentment, but rather a response of contentment that isn't just plastic, but it's transparent to the situation at hand. It's a contentment that we're going to see in these three movements that's troubling. It's a troubling contentment. She's troubled. It's a contentment that's defined by trust. And it's a contentment that's ultimately defined by surrender. So let's look at the first few verses here in verses uh, 26 to 29. We find that she's troubled. The angel appears to her in verses 27. And he, came to her, he comes to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord was, is with you. Verse 29, But she was greatly troubled and saying, at the saying, and she was trying to discern what kind of greeting 
this might be. Now, this is the second announcement from Gabriel. Remember, same angel who visited Zechariah in the account just before that we went over last week. And here he comes to this virgin named Mary, adolescent. She's probably maybe 14, 15 years old. She's betrothed to be, she's engaged to be married to Joseph. And this is really something important to consider in this account and really throughout Luke's gospel. Um, He's not write, he's writing an account through eyewitnesses. Uh, most scholars would say that actually Luke went back and interviewed Mary to find out the level of detail. Um, this isn't just legend material that's been written down. These are actually from eyewitness accounts. And, and if, if, if you read an account like this and you struggle maybe with the idea of an angel visiting or some of the miracles in the Gospels, I mean, we have to think through these things. There's actually a great book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses by a man named Richard Bauckham that, that really uh, helps to unpack. We don't have time to do that here and explain how these accounts are actually uh, written down by Luke based on people who saw it firsthand. And so this account is special. It's, it's, it's a unique account that we have here. Um, the angel comes and calls her favored one. This is the same word in Ephesians 1.6 of, of, that relates to the grace that's given to us. And this is, of course, the classic angelic salutation, um, or uh, might be called the Ave Maria. And it's a, it's a, it's a classic and, and beautiful passage of what transpires. But she has a response, and and through this passage, what we're going to see is the angel speaks something to her, and then she responds in a kind of deep contentment in a way. Now, she responds, the first movement of her contentment actually begins with her being troubled, and this is an honest, transparent response. When the map gets changed in our lives, it's hard. It, It is a little agitating. It can be troubling. And what Luke says here, what Luke observes in what Mary says is she's troubled by it, and then, but then she begins to think about it. She, she wonders about it. In other words, uh, and in the Greek here, it's this idea of bringing together different reasons to reckon or reason together. So she doesn't just accept it at face value with a, with a fake smile and says, okay, angel, that's fine. She's, she's wrestling with it, and she's wrestling with it, and that wrestling is incredibly important. In fact, that's part of, of, of the journey in contentment when the map changes is to begin with an honest assessment of what's really been happening. And so I don't know what that looks like in your life right now. I don't know what lo- that has looked like over this last year, but no doubt the mapping has changed for you in some way. And it's in that moment that we, it's okay to be troubled by it and to wonder about it and to process with the Lord about it. Because as we said, discontentment has to do with expectations, and she had expectations for her life, and here is an angel absolutely disrupting her story. This is a healthy thing. The problem is most of us just stay in this place, and instead of just being troubled and wondering, it turns into this deep kind of discontentment that we want to hold on to and control and understand how the whole thing is going to play out the way that we would want it to. The word content comes from the Greek word that means self-sufficient or independent. That's how the Stoics used it. But the Christian writers took this word content and contentment and began to turn it on its head and see that this contentment is actually not based on us sort of being released from our desires, but actually our contentment is adhered to something else. And this brings us to our second observation in verse 30 to 33. After this first uh, statement from the angel to Mary... The angel says again, 
what is going to happen? Verse 32, or sorry, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now listen to the descriptors in the next two verses. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. Now, understand without a doubt what Luke is doing here and what the angel knew that the angel was saying and what Mary as, as Jewish would have heard is that this child is actually going to be a different kind of child than was promised to Elizabeth. This child is, in fact, the Messiah, the one that had been promised, the one that the scripture from beginning to end has been uh, talking about. This is uh, from Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecies that we know are now being fulfilled right here in Luke chapter 1. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And listen to this, of the increase of his government and the peace peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. The angel is almost verbatimly quoting this passage from Isaiah 9. Micah 5 is another one. O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old and of ancient of days. She who is in labor has given birth. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall dwell secure. He shall be their peace. This is significant announcement. This isn't just an angel saying, hey, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a a prophet as a child. This is the angel saying the entire story that's been written, the entire story that's been told and shared through the Jewish nation that, that a Messiah, a rescuer, a king would come. This is actually the child that you are going to carry in your womb. And you think, If I was 14 or 15, how would I respond to this? And her response is outstanding. It's astonishing. Here's what she responds in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? So steady, so collected. I mean, we don't know the tone or the nuance in that. It's actually a really smart, practical question if we think about it. (laughs) She's like... How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. But notice, very interesting compared to how Zechariah responded. And there's no doubt in these early chapters of Luke, part of what Luke is doing is he's comparing and contrasting Zechariah and Mary, John the Baptist's birth and Jesus' birth, the significance of both of them in each in their own way and how they are very different. And their responses are very different. Zechariah asks a very similar question, but it's a little bit different if you remember. Zechariah says, how will I know? How will I know? In other words, and we talked about this last week, how can I know for sure? Prove it to me, God. But listen to Mary's question. How will this be? See, see in, in one sense, Zechariah is wanting to control and know the situation. Mary acknowledges that it will happen. It's going to be. She's just curious about how. (laughs) This is an incredible response. 
And this leads us to our third observation, this third interaction between the angel and Mary in this annunciation. Another way the map changes on her. The angel answers and says this. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child born to you will be called the Son of God. Do you notice the Trinitarian framework here? Father, Son, Holy Spirit right here. And in the birth narrative, in the promise. I love the picture here of how the angel speaks this over her and to her. And the angel goes on to say, Elizabeth, your relative is pregnant as well. And nothing will be impossible with God. And here we find Mary's response, her, her sort of, in a way, her final response in this little section, though she responds in a, in a really strong way with a song in the next section. But just listen to her response here. And the contentment in her heart and in her, in her, in her words. Verse 38, after the angel has said all these things, Mary says this, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel has no more questions. He departs. I just want us to think about this phrase here. Let it be to me according to your word. I want you to think about how true or not true that phrase has been in the story of your life over the course of your life, in this last season, in this last week, maybe even this morning. Let it be. Let it, the struggle, let it, the situation, let it, the thing at hand that is out of your control, let it, the map being changed on you, let it do what? Let it be to me. Let it exist. Let it have presence. Let it be seen. Let it be observed, Mary says. To me, I'm going to absorb the struggle. I'm going to absorb the loss. I'm going to sit in the pain. I'm going to absorb the heartache. I'm going to subject myself to it. Let it be to me. And then this incredible word of trust and surrender, according to your word. Surrendering to the desires of another is the heart of Mary. Surrendering and willing to release control over the situation is the heart of Mary. The map had shifted on her, and yet here she is, found to be, yes, wrestling through it, but trusting Christ, trusting the angel's word, trusting God in it, and ultimately submitting herself, surrendering herself to the will of God in her life, even something she didn't know. The New Testament writers will speak of this word contentment. 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 in another place, Paul writes, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how it is to be brought low. I know how it is to abound. And in every and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And this word contentment here in Philippians 4 is this idea of being contented with one's lot. It's the heart of Mary. Let it be to me according to your word. After Alan Gardner and his team were there and the food didn't come, things started to get desperate. Their supplies started to wane and one by one, the seven men began to die of starvation on that island. They had given their lives to the mission of Jesus in the world and here they are finding themselves ready to meet Jesus himself. On September 6th, 1851, in Alan Gardner's last journal entry, they found his journal under his body. He wrote, Psalm 34, 10, they that seek the Lord shall lack not any good thing. And then he penned these words is literally his last words that we have recorded by him. He says, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed. My friends around me have died. There's no food left. My days are numbered. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God, he writes. And it was just four weeks later that the ship with food came and found all the men had died. Sometimes the mapping to the story of our life changes. Mary, a teenager, betrothed, visited by an angel, life interrupted. What creates, what prepares this kind of contentment in us? I mean, it's, if you're like me, and, and when the mapping changes, it's frustrating, and, and you, don't, you don't like it. And it's so easy to fall into perpetual patterns of discontentment. How can Alan Gardner say, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God as he is on his deathbed? How can Paul say, in every situation, I've learned to be content through Christ who gives me strength? How can Mary say, let it be to me according to your word? And we find at the heart of this passage the promise, the promise, the very promise being fulfilled. And that is that God is found altering his map, subjecting himself to our discontentment. You see, Mary's contentment is rooted in the fulfillment of God's promise through the very child she would bear. That, that's, the, that's the beauty and, the, and, the, and the, the amazing thing about this passage. God came into the world's discontentment in flesh, incarnate. He inconvenienced himself. He chose to subject himself to the shifty, fallen world and all of the sin that fosters discontentment in us, and yet he remained perfectly content. Jesus Christ in love poured himself out. He didn't just live in perfect contentment. He subjects himself to the ultimate source of our discontentment, our sin. 
This is Jesus in the garden, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, crying out to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. The caring, the deep sin of our discontentment where we have blamed God for our situations. In love, he carries them for us. He takes the sin upon himself. He pours out his perfect contentment, his perfect righteousness to us. And, and this is the heart of the cross for the Christian. Seeing Jesus, this is the heart of the incarnation. This is the heart of Advent. Seeing Jesus suffering love for us, taking our discontentment, filling us with a resource of grace that looks at our circumstances. And then we look at our circumstances in that moment and say, I'm not going to fear in this moment. I can trust the king. I can wrestle through it, but I can trust him with it. I will not jockey for position. I'm going to be content with where I am and what I have. I will not push others down for the sake of building myself up. I can be okay with where God has placed me in this moment. I'm content because my justification, my okayness in the world rests in something else other than what circumstances lie before me. In other words, the shifting map doesn't dictate my contentment. But the mapping that came from heaven to earth does. And that's where we can say, let it be to me according to your word. Because Christ let it be to him according to his Father in heaven's word. It's not that the mapping of our life becomes consistent that's never going to happen in this tension. But it's that what we expect becomes different because the mapping of our life begins to be aligned to Jesus and the design he has for us. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, but how can the characters in a play guess the plot? I mean, isn't that so often the heart of our discontentment? We just we want to know what the plot's going to be. He says, we're not the playwright, we're not the producer, we're not even the audience, we're on the stage. To play well the scenes in which we are on concerns us much more than to guess about the scenes that follow it. And if we understand our mapping to be that which God has prepared and is in absolute control over, Jen said it earlier, he's sovereign, what other response do we have then Mary's response, let it be to me according to your word. We want to take a moment here and just pause as we're uh, to gathering together in our Zoom calls, as we're gathering together uh, with our discipleship bands, with family members, with friends, whoever you're around with now. We just want to pause and I just want to ask us a question here. And then after this question, David's going to lead us in communion. Here's the question how or what area of your life is Christ calling you to live in deeper contentment? How or what area of your life is Christ calling you to live in deeper contentment? And I wonder this week if we as a church, when that discontentment rises up, we could just memorize and speak back to the Lord, even under our breath, the words of Mary, let it be to me in this moment, according to your word and the fruit of that my friends, my brothers and sisters, will be a life of joy.